Welcome back to Ferris Gone, episode 36. On deck for you guys today, we have baseball this week that included a 30 for 30 long gone summer recap of the 1998 home run chase between McGuire and Sosa. After that, we discussed the new proposals between the MLBPA and the owners and how close we really are to getting baseball back. After that, we finished the episode up with the 2007 season in review, a jam-packed season full of offense and a lot of names we begin to recognize. You're not going to want to miss this jam-packed episode. into baseball this week honestly we had probably the best baseball content we've had in a while with uh, long gone summer on espn the 30 for 30 on mcguire and sosa in the 1998 um home run you know derby or i guess home run chase however you want to seven up uh i know you two didn't get to catch it but i kind of give my thoughts on it i watched the whole two-hour thing as it premiered i think the best thing it did for me is it kind of humanized these steroid guys and you realize that these dudes weren't doing it just to like be assholes they weren't cheating just to cheat. Like, this was kind of a normal thing. Like, guys were, this was kind of the boom in supplements, the boom in, um, you know, taking stuff like creatine, over-the-counter prescription, or non-prescription strength builders, and that obviously led into anabolic steroids, but it kind of humanized that kind of part of it when you saw, when you kind of got, you know, these interview clips from guys like Craig Biggio who were talking about, oh, yeah, you know, I use, you know, some drug that I can't pronounce, you know, and, you know, you know, everyone's taking it. And there's even a clip with McGuire sitting there. He was like, yeah, I mean, they literally sat in his locker behind him when he was getting interviewed. You know, like just pill bottles of, like, strength builders and stuff like that. Uh, I think it really just humanized him. But, hey, some of these guys weren't blatant assholes. Like, there were guys like Bonds and Clemens who were, who took them and then refused them. And they were assholes about the entire thing. But maybe guys like McGuire and Sosa weren't so bad. You know what I'm saying? One thing I think that gets ten this is like this is not just baseball steroid uses, this is kind of like in general, is the people we villainize, we tend to just because we, we think they're bad, so we tend to just naturally think they're just being bad to be bad and they're just bad people. Just like you watch any T V show and sometimes you kind of sympathize with the villain, there's always a reason they're doing something. It kind of, like you said, it humanizes them. Like you don't even think about it from that perspective. So I think that's a good case with steroid users. We need to remember like context of what was happening everyone was using steroids then that it was, was normal point. it was normal yeah. it wasn't even cheating back then technically I, I would never call a steroid user like evil or anything like that i, I would say they cheated yes because they know they cheated but do i understand it yeah i understand it but we all said in the last part i think we all agreed we would yeah. have done it in the same circumstances so yeah the yeah, other it, i i agree with you there i i can't as much as we want to villainize Bonds and Clemens and guys like that, I, I just have a hard time doing it because, like you said, we, it's not evil. There was yeah. no malicious intent. Yeah, you could say it maybe harmed the careers of people that were not willing to take it, but everybody was taking it. It At one point, it wasn't even against the rules. Mm-hmm. And even once it was, there was no punishment for it. That's like saying, that's like if the local government said, yeah, there's a speed limit, but we're going to make it widely known <laughs> that the policeman will not pull you over for speed. 
what do you think people are going to do? You can't really expect anything different. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think getting Maguire and Sosa's complete personalities on the line was pretty good, honestly. It was really entertaining. But uh, on the flip side of that, you saw what, I guess, the two sides of what guys can deal with the media. Because Sosa was as charismatic, fun-loving, loved the media. I mean, he even said it. He loved being in front of people. He even says it today. He loves being in front of people, talking to the media. Meanwhile, Maguire was kind of fed up with it during the whole thing. He said he felt like a caged animal. He got tired of talking to the media. Everything he did was on camera, being recorded, being, you know, talked about in newspapers and stuff like that. And I, that definitely showed the two sides of, I guess, players with the media. And we talk about it even more today as media becomes more and more part of our everyday lives. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think literally, literally McGuire said he felt like a, quote, caged animal. I wonder if that contributed to, besides the steroid thing, um, I wonder if that contributed to Mark McGuire's early exit from baseball, because, hear me out, in 2000, he only played 89 games and 321 at-bats. He batted 305, had a, listen to this, 1229 OPS and 32 home runs in 320 plate appearances. That's one in 10 plate appearances, not at-bats. Plate appearances. He was that good. The next year, yeah, his average took a nosedive, but he still hit 29 home runs and two, 300 at bats. Like, the dude was not done yet. How, how old was he his last year? 37. Oh, he retired at 37. Yeah, like, he hit 98. It was the home run chase. The next year, yeah. he had 65 home runs. He was very good when he was healthy in 2000. Had a bad year in 01, but gone. That's, that's tough, but I, because I mean, a lot of the steroid guys of that era, and even some guys that didn't use, would play into their early 40s, like Randy yeah. Johnson and obviously Bonds, guys like that. But now, I mean, a lot of guys call it quits at 35 to 37. And I, I do think even Bonds was pretty productive up until he retired. He could have theoretically kept going, but I think the steroids – help boost the production to mask a lot of what might be going on behind the scenes. Cause there's at one point, I think media media probably had something to do, especially since it felt like that, but I'm sure there's a point where those, those guys' bodies, even though they're juicing, they just feel burned out. Like there's something to be said about the grind of 162 game season. Even if you are juicing, I'm sure it's still taxing, but the normally guys today would start to drop off at 37. They're productive, but they still have that wear and tear and mental drain too yeah yeah i mean mcguire was hurt in the early 90s and then towards you know the the 35 36 37 age he gets hurt again i'm sure he just kind of wants to hang him up at that point what's absolutely insane to me okay his 162 game average so i think we talked about like to break home run record it would take someone for like 20 years basically hitting 40 home runs a year right Mm -hmm. that's crazy to average 40 home runs a year he averaged in 162 game season 50 home runs. That was his average in 162 games. Like, oh my gosh. Hey, you want to uh, you want to hear something on top of that? He was a pitcher. When, he was a pitcher when he went to college. He was recruited as a pitcher when he went to USC. And uh, they saw him take BP and they said, you know what? You're going to become a first baseman. He said he quote, <laughs> always had a quote-unquote knack for hitting home runs. Look, I don't know about you guys. I have a knack for striking out. I have never had a knack for hitting balls over the fence. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I wish I had a quote knack for hitting home runs. Um, I hit a ball over our fence one time, and we were doing a 
from Rutgers Derby to 200 foot field. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he, <laughs> he he talked about kind of his approach at the plate at some point, just to kind of wrap this up. He said, uh, in turn into today, he talked about that he was the first guy to embrace that he was a home run hitter. He said back in the 90s, it was something that was frowned upon to be a home run hitter and to strike out and, you know, lifting the ball or whatever. He said, he, obviously, the days before launch angle. And now that's so normal, it's weird. It's weird when someone doesn't embrace it. Yep. Yeah, he kind of, and I wouldn't even say Bonds, because Bonds was more of a well-rounded hitter even then, but McGuire really kind of, I feel like, pioneered the modern day, like, just get up there, take an absolute hack at it, you're going to hit a piss missile, or you're going to get down, but more times than not, you're going to hit a piss missile. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, uh, no, that was great for 30 for 30. For anyone who hasn't checked it out, I'd highly recommend watching it. Um, to yeah. today's baseball, though. We have, <laughs> ah, let's start with the Yankees. Let's gloss over the Yankees. Uh, I believe a letter from 2017 stating some of the investigations of the Yankees and their cheating scandal have gone, is going to become public pretty soon. I believe I got that right. Um, a couple quotes I've seen of it, more serious sign-stealing scheme, quote, uh, an improved Manfred's duplicity. You can look at it one of two ways. I know our co-host Ryan over there is looking at it as a Yankees fan. Uh, I don't think this is anything the Yankees did wrong. I think this was a cover-up by Manfred of some sort. I'm not sure what, um, because it seems like this, if the Yankees were the first team to do it, uh, say, hypothetically, say the Yankees got caught first and Manfred tries to cover it up, and then the Astros and Red Sox come out, and obviously we did this whole four-month, five-month investigation with the Astros and the Red Sox um, that may have stemmed from the fact that he covered something up with the Yankees, and then he was like, oh crap, more teams are doing it, we better set the bar high. I'm not I'm not sure, I don't have much information on it. I think it's more of a thing that Manfred tried to cover up than it is actually the Yankees cheating or anything. That's my skepticism. I think that's definitely a possibility. <laughs> like, let's be real, yeah. But the kind of their baseball is golden goose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not enough evidence. We don't know enough yet to really make a conclusive yep. argument on it. That certainly could be a thing, but eh, I, I can't really speculate. Yeah. It's it's hard to speculate. I I know I had this conversation with Justin on Friday or Saturday when it came out, but it didn't bother me that things can't that like that came out that they're going to unseal the letter. Okay. Like, yeah, there, and even people saying like, this could be bad for the Yankees. Yeah, I get that because ultimately we don't know what's in the letter. It could be damning for the Yankees and for major league baseball, or it could be a basic reiteration of everything we already knew. Mm-hmm. And the Yankees and MLB just don't want it unsealed because the less that's out there, the less attention that's on it. Like, uh, I saw somebody put it best. The Yankees, Obviously, you're going to make a better argument in court. They're going to say it's going to cause a reputation damage to try to keep it sealed. But somebody said all it could be is just they say it's going to cause a reputation damage because it's going to remind people that they were fined for sign stealing in 2017, which even or uh, fined for like technology abuse in 2017, which even as a Yankees fan, I forgot had happened. Mm-hmm. Like it could be it could be as harmless as just a reminder about what already happened and nothing more, or it could be serious allegations that were covered up. But until the letter comes out, we don't know. And the part that bothered me were all the base 
all the Red Sox fans on Twitter and baseball fans yeah. on Twitter just yep. running with it, yeah. like yep. making fun of the Yankees. Uh, Correa tweeting Judge's tweet back. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if you know when Astros got caught. Judge tweeted, "Wait, dot 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 what?" with a question mark. And Correa tweeted the same thing on Friday or Saturday when it came out, going back at Judge. Yeah. About it. I think you might want to, and especially the Astros fans, just automatically jumping the gun, assuming that whatever this letter is going to show, that it's just as bad as what the Astros did. And, oh, they're covering up for the Yankees, but they crucified us. We don't even know what it is. Just pump your brakes a little bit. If it comes out and it's bad, by all means, go yeah. on. Until you know, just slow your brakes a little bit. Yeah. At some point, you just got to understand the Red Sox fan base will come out and do anything to antagonize the Yankees. I mean, yeah. say a Yankees player comes out with a you know a dirty jersey, Red Sox nation will jump on that just to antagonize Yankees fans and vice versa. Right. But no, you're absolutely right about the Astros guys. Like Correa, yeah, I believe yeah. Bregman tweeted something too. It's like, hey, shut yes. up, man. Shut up. Just please. Yeah. Please. You, you, you stayed quiet enough long enough to where I forgot you were a clown, Carlos Correa. Now you're back on the <laughs> forefront of us. And now you're back on the and forefront no. of content. I, I just don't understand if you're the if you're an Astros player or a fan, even commenting into it. Yeah, like did you? Because it, I feel like it's a lose lose situation. If you say something now, making fun of them or going at the Yankees, and you're right, guess what? You're no, you're still no better than them. You're at the same level. You both committed serious violations. You got caught two years later in one World Series. The Yankees got covered up. Of time, I really don't see a huge difference there. That's more on Major League Baseball than it is on the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And then, if you're wrong, my goodness, <laughs> you look like you're an even bigger buffoon than you already are. I'm looking at you, Carlos Correa. Yep. Uh, yep. yep that's about it. Well, I think I can wrap us up on no. that. Honestly. Well, I do want to add one thing really quick, though. Is okay, we did yeah. say back in the back at the time we were talking about the Astros, like. Oh, can we not see any other teams in baseball doing this? Um, yes. So, does the possibility exist? I, I think it's like, not only possible, I think it's likely that not just the Yankees, but other teams around baseball are doing this. So, if it is something bad on the Yankees, I would not be surprised. But, obviously, no. like, like I said, it's too way too early to make any speculations. It, it, it wouldn't shock me. I, if I had to bet, I would say the allegations are a little more serious than what they were made out to be in 17, but I don't think it really gets close to Astros. I think there are a lot of teams that you could probably pin violations on that were Yankees in 2017-like, Red Sox in 2018-like. They're not the only teams doing that. Other teams are doing it. They just haven't gotten caught because they haven't been winning or they're not. They don't have that target on their backs to begin with. But I I really, truly think Houston's is the pinnacle of it. I don't, know that really, camp, yeah. I don't know that it could get much worse than that. I mean, at yeah. what can you do with sign stealing that's more elaborate and thought out than what they did? It's true. Yep. But uh, moving into the real content of this week, uh, it may – I don't know. I mean, Rob Manfred's been throwing me for an emotional loop. Um, I believe it was. I believe it, it, I believe it was three or four days ago. I remember we are recording this on, what, the uh, 17th? Yeah, the 17th. Yep. So I believe it was three or four days ago during the draft. You know, he came out with a statement that said, "You know, they're one hundred. I'm one hundred percent confident that we will have baseball this season." And then, like yesterday, he comes out with a statement that he's not confident that baseball will come back this season. And then today we get another offer, 
and you know John Heyman reports the players and the owners are very close to her deal and Evan Drellich and Ken Rosenthal on the other side are reporting that there is no deal done and this is just an offer and then the, and then that comes down to the players association having to make a statement today that said there is no deal in place right now like the media has no idea what they're doing people's sources are all wrong there's so much speculation in all of this it's 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 getting quite out of hand I feel really smart for saying the other day that uh, there's only a 50-50 chance they play this year because literally I think the next day or something after that is when Mariner was like, well, actually, maybe we won't play this year. I was like, Haha. Yeah, I, me- I remember those few seconds where I said, hey, you know, I haven't said much good things about Manfred. Let me say something. And then he completely, I was like, you know what? You know what? Thank you for proving me wrong when I said I will probably never say something positive about Rob Manfred because the dude's an idiot. <laughs> yeah. The dude's an idiot. Yeah, That's why you don't say I, things like that. Yeah, not unless you already know that a deal has been shook on and it just hasn't been reported yet. Yep. But, hey, maybe yep. it'll end out okay, or maybe it'll turn out okay in the end. But just to go from, yeah, I'm 100% confident we're having baseball this season to I don't know if we're going to have baseball this season within a week. Yeah. Hey, it's just more incompetence out of the commissioner's office and it doesn't surprise me at all. Makes him look like a clown. Yep, I agree. Um, I he's already done that. I, <laughs> it it ain't bro. just that. More of a clown, bro. Before, before <laughs> yeah. we get to the specs of the deal, uh, there have been reports that six to eight owners don't even want baseball to come back this season. Uh, obviously, there may be more, there may be less. Can't, we don't know which owners they have been. There have been speculations on which ones based on past, I guess, opinions. But yeah, that's kind of shocking, if I'm being honest. Um, and then it was also conveniently that uh, Major League Baseball leaked that there have been multiple positive coronavirus or tests uh, for Major League Baseball players. That was just oh so conveniently leaked like within, the na- within a couple yep. hours of each other. Yep. That owners yeah. didn't want baseball coming back, and then guys tested positive for Corona. Yeah, that was. Someone tells me that that's not a coincidence. <laughs> what could ever could tell you that, Ryan? Just a hunch. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. at the beginning of all of this, I really just thought it was a disagreement. Of, you know, a pretty simple disagreement in that. Maybe the owners weren't this big of asshats, but as this has gone on, this has gotten really bad. Like, really, yeah. really bad. And Rob Manfred and, I guess, Major League Baseball's front office hasn't helped one bit, because they're the ones leaking this information. Um, the AP Press and John Heyman and everyone like that doesn't get this information out of thin air, and they don't, you know, do investigative research, especially when they're not allowed anywhere near anybody. Uh, so the leaks have to be coming from somewhere, and I'm sure the MOBPA isn't getting giving all these leaks of all these deals and stuff. Um, they're not. They're not giving the leaks about the positive player test. I can tell you. No, or, yeah. or owners not wanting to play or anything like that. Uh, I just, my gosh, man, these owners in the Major League Baseball front office is looking really bad right now. Yeah. At the very least, at the very least, they did increase the offer to the players finally. Kind of. That, kind that, of. That's like the absolute bare minimum standard. That's, that's like, what you're supposed to. I know. I know. I, know, I, know, I agree. <laughs> but I'm just saying, at the very least, they start starting to understand what, what a negotiation actually looks like. That's like it's, so. Yeah, that's like the dictionary definition of negotiation. It's like, <laughs> like the owner sitting down at a table and the 
extending an olive branch, but the olive branch was mangled into a bunch of pieces and the leaves were wilting. <laughs> yep. Wait. Yep. I have a dollar for you. I don't want a dollar. I have two dollars for you. Well, it, it, yeah. it basically no, got, I... it got down to the point where, no, not even one dollar, two dollars. The owners were like, I have a dollar for you. I have, uh, I have four quarters for you. I have, yeah. uh, four quarters and five dimes, if you, or two quarters and five dimes, if you really feel that one. Like, that's basically what they've been doing for the players. And the player's like, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. You know, I, saw, I saw a great analogy, um, on Twitter the other day. It said, uh, MLB players, we want a steak. Owners, okay, I've got two ham, I've got a hamburger. Uh, players, no, we wanted a steak. Owners, Chops burger in half. Okay, how about two hamburgers? We <laughs> <laughs> wanted a steak. Owners, we can make it four. <laughs> it's it's basically what's been going on. But um, at least they upped it like twenty five percent from their initial ridiculous forty eight game for full pro and the offer. So it, I I will give them the tiniest bit of credit for coming back with an offer after instead of digging their heels in after the players dug their heels in but mm-hmm. i will say the players had every right to do so yep oh yeah uh, with the way with the way the owners negotiated that was yeah shame on the owners for even coming out and was it they were the ones that said too that the players association did not negotiate in good faith yes shame on them for even saying that i it actually pisses me off that the owners have tried so hard to make the player the villain in this and it disappoints me that a lot of the general public is not going to see through the owner's BS. And it just, I, I really think the players have made it reasonable effort to try to get a season on and the owners have done everything they can to dig their heels in and try to get everything on their terms, but still find a way to make themselves not look any worse than the player. Yeah. Like, uh, you have to ask the question, though. It's like, if the players or the owners don't want to play, which one do you think is more likely to not play? Or not want to play, I should say. It's the owners. Yeah. So if the owners are trying to play, the players don't want to play, uh, bullshit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. Uh, but getting into the specs of the deal that was released today, uh, 60 games, full prorated salaries, expanded playoffs of 16 teams, waiving of potential grievances, uh, and it would start on July 19th. I don't expect the players to be like, oh, okay, we'll play. Um, there'll be a counter offer. I believe it'll be somewhere around 72 games. I think the deal breaker in this one is the waiving of potential grievances, though. Um, I think that's what 100% the deal breaker for players right now, because if these dudes get corona and something bad happens and they can't really do anything about it, I think that's where they're going to draw the line. I uh, that, that, one's, that one's tough for me because I actually, as much as I've disagreed with how the owners have come about this, I... That I do think is a reasonably fair stipulation. I don't think the, I assume you're, when you say waiving of grievances, you mean if one of the players gets sick, they can't go after the team yes, or the league. That's, that's how yeah. I've understood it. Oh, okay. If, if that's the case, I, I don't disagree with that. I think the, I think that's fair for the owners to put in. I, I was all for players getting 100% of their pay because as I've said before, yeah. The uh, the players don't get to share in any of the extra profit if owners make more than expected, and so they shouldn't have to bear the loss. Like if you don't have a skin, if you don't have skin in the game, you don't get extra, but you don't get hurt by the downside either. 
the owners have all the skin in the game. So they get the upside, but they also get the downside. Right? Players should get their full salary. But I do think it's not the owner's fault with what the current situation is. The pandemic is the pandemic. If you're a player and you're going to go out there and you make the decision to play, knowing full well the risks that that carries yep. right now, and provided that the owners in the league make a reasonable effort to provide care and services that they need to provide, I I don't think you can pin that on teams if you get sick. That's just not fair. I'm pretty sure it's in their contract that they have health care. So, like, if you're talking about like suing teams for getting sick, I mean that's unless unless it's because of negligence or incompetence or something, that's ridiculous. Like if we're talking really? like someone doesn't wipe down the weight room properly, that's one thing. But if we're talking yeah. just oh I got sick, it's the team's fault. No. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, yeah, it, I, I would have to read more into what that means because I did I think the MLBPA had filed a grievance already against baseball, and MLB wanted them to withdraw that before they would start the season. So it may be referring to that. It may be referring to uh, grievances over negligence, which if that's the case, I think the players should be able to do something about negligence. But if it's just grievances about getting sick in general, I'm, I'm kind of with you here, sir. Yep, I agree with you all. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's about it. Again, I'm, I don't expect the players to accept this, but it seems like we're getting closer, which is, yeah. which is a bright time. Uh, the I last think, note... I mean, yeah, go okay. ahead. Go ahead, Gip. I think like 70... I think if the players come back with... They, they can't come back... Yes. No, they, they shouldn't come back with like what the offer I they mean, want. I think they need to go like just maybe 75 games per Yeah, I was going to say day. 72. Yep. Yeah, that's. I think that's the right... I think that's about the right ballpark, but if they come back with that, the owner's going to try cut them down even more. So I think the players come back with 75 games, and if the others work down to 70 or something, I think they should take that. I think I think they'll end at 68. That's in the yeah, I saw I saw on Twitter earlier, I think they somebody said 66 for scheduling purposes. But somewhere in that range, I think if the players count at like 72 to 75, I think they can end up in that 66 to 68 range. Yeah. And yep. let's get some baseball back, man. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm ready. The, the last note for baseball this week, and this is kind of uh, one that developed today, is uh, y'all know who Mad Dog is, right? Yes. Chris Russo. Oh, yeah. Did y'all yeah. happen to catch what he said uh, this morning on Sirius Radio? It was clipped. I, tend to, I tend to ignore him. Oh. Yeah, I tried to. He was literally screaming at the top of his lungs. Uh how like you know you know every player or every star player at least has really tweeted out within the past forty eight hours, uh, tell us when and you know we'll play or you know something along those lines, and in- including guys like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, uh, Pete Alonso, the, the biggest names in baseball have tweeted that out, and he was talking about Bryce Harper and he was like you know I'm tired of hearing Bryce Harper I'll I'll put it in right here honestly I'll clip it I don't care it's it's pretty bad I want everyone to have to listen to it I it ruined my day and I want to ruin yours, um so. <laughs> He, he was basically saying, you know, shut up and stop tweeting when you played so poorly last season. I want to state that someone that has a show on Major League Major League Network, Major League Baseball Network, MOB Network, gets paid to talk about baseball. I mean, gets paid millions to talk about baseball. And said Bryce Harper had a poor season last year. Yeah, under, what, under what metric did Bryce Harper have a poor season last year? Two things. One, yes, that. Um, how on God's green earth can you claim that Bryce Harper had a bad year last year when he was far and away the Phillies' best player, and it wasn't really close. And second of all, why can't he share his opinion regardless of how he performs? Mm-hmm. Like, are you kidding I, me? 
I thought we tried shut up and dribble with the NBA and we were told that that was not a good idea and that they are allowed to speak their opinions. And have we not learned from that at all? Probably not. Free speech, (laughs) free speech still applies to athletes, right? Uh, basically the quote was stop tweeting when you stunk and it was obviously like a minute long rant wow I think he had the same thing to him he doesn't get paid that much because he knows a shit about anything he's talking about he gets paid that much because he knows how to get excited and yell at a team screaming at the top of his lungs Uh, I think I think one of the best tweets I saw it was from Kevin Kramer who I believe is on the Pirates um, and Marcus Stroman replied to him. He said, you know, when they ask what's wrong with baseball, this is it. Instead of building players up and highlighting what they do well, there's this guy trashing MVPs. I'd love to see you stand in a box. And Stroman said, agreed, get this cloud off MLB Network. Has to scream at the top of his lungs just to express his extremely biased opinions. We need more Dallas Braden and less of this clown. The only reason uh, I've ever heard Christian Russo ever was because he always came on before or after, I forget which, of intentional talk. Because Kevin Millar is amazing. But He's a clown. I was like, nope, no thank you. Yep. Yeah, I could not agree more. Uh, I understand yeah. criticizing players when they need to be criticized, but I don't understand screaming at a player they stunk and stop tweeting when A, they didn't stink, B, um, why do they need to stop tweeting? You yeah. can criticize a player if they do something worth criticizing. Like, Criticize the role as Chapman for shooting a gun at his garage. Criticize Roberto Ozuna for beating, beating up his girlfriend. Criticize Amir Garrett for just going coming out of nowhere and trying to fight the entire Pittsburgh Pirates team. Like that if you wanna yell and criticize him for that, fine. You're gonna criticize Bryce Harper because he tweeted about wanting to play baseball? Yeah. Yeah. That just Y'all ever seen that meme from The Simpsons where it just says "old man yells at cloud"? Yes, Russo. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. just just to kind of wrap up baseball this week. I think I think my final take on like I just this is we've all been guilty of it before, especially us being young as teenagers. But when you're a grown man, you should know better. Um, is that we should be talking about what players do good rather than what players do bad. I would I would much rather talk about the role player who had a breakout month than maybe Bryce Harper having a slump, you know, a bad month. No, I think we should be building up players more than we're tearing them down. And for a grown ass man who's getting paid legitimately millions of dollars to talk about baseball, should probably do a little better job of that. I, talks I mean, a loaded word. I would talks a little bit uh, off. I, I'd say yell, scream. Scream. That's fair. Yeah. We're, we're a bunch of early 20 year olds running an amateur podcast, and we can more professionally present ourselves than somebody whose job it is to professionally present themselves. Yep. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Uh, any any final notes on baseball this week? Or is that going to wrap us up? Uh, Adam Silver, are you, <laughs> you, you free, dude? Yeah, for real. You got for fair real. time. For real. And then on. Heard that one. But uh, rolling into 2007, honestly, a jam-packed season. We haven't had this good of a season to talk about really in a while, in my opinion. Uh, 2005, 2006 have kind of been pretty bland seasons. Uh, 2007, get it kicked off in the offseason prior. Uh, t- Tony Gwynn and Cal Ripken Jr. were elected to the Hall. There's no arguments there, right? Duh. 
I don't have to kick one of you off this podcast. All right, goodbye. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and then in January, Bonds tested positive for amphetamines. Um, this was Bonds' first or second positive test. I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, are we really surprised? Not really. Um, uh, he states that he got them from teammate Mike Sweeney. Which <laughs> shows you how quickly Bonds was willing to throw someone under the bus. Uh, that, that's a little ridiculous. Yeah. I got caught. Darn it. Here's who gave it to me. Yeah. Here's <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, at this, at this point, I read an article that from Bleacher Report, I believe, that was kind of like, what, what's the dead? It was like the Dundies of the 2007. Yeah, I delved deep into articles. I found a 2007 article. The Dundies of 2007, and it was like, what's the uh, beating the dead horse Dundee? And it was the Mitchell Report, because the dude was like, yeah, okay, everyone's either been on the Mitchell Report or is now testing positive for steroids. I think we can stop beating it to death, but it's it's never going away. And here we are in 2020, we're still bringing up the Mitchell Report, talking about guys like David Ortiz. So, I'm not going to beat the dead horse with Bonds testing positive on steroids. <laughs> um, but now, getting into that season, uh, there was a lot of things that happened. Honestly, a lot of events. Um, there was three no-hitters, Burley, Buck Holtz, and Verlander, all three no-hitters. Uh, Sosa wow. hit his 600th home run. But by far, there was two extremely interesting things that aren't necessarily quote-unquote noteworthy when they're talking about milestones. On May 31st, the Chicago White Sox lost a game with no opposing players on base at the beginning of an at-bat. Uh, Mark Byerly gave up two solo home runs, and he gave up no walks and no other hits that game. Wow. So they lost a game on legitimately two solo home runs. No hits, no walks, no hit-by-pitches, no errors. Did you say he had thrown a no-hitter that year as well? Yeah. So he threw a no-hitter and, oh my gosh. Wow. And a two-hitter where he only gave up two solo shots. <laughs> uh, honestly, that's the crazy, like, I really didn't think about that being crazy until not a single at-bat started with a player on the inning bag. Of- yeah, when you, when you told me they lost by, and lost, Two one or two nothing or whatever. Only gave up two solo homers. Like, eh, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And didn't give up a single other other hit outside no. of that or a walk. No, not a walk, not an air, not a hit by pitch, nothing. Really, two solo shots. I, that's all they gave up. I would wow. be really curious to see if those two home runs were on mistake pitches over the middle of the plate, or if they were if they were on pitchers' pitches that they put a good swing on. I bet Mark Marley was extremely close to two no hitters within a sixty day oh. span. For wow. sure. Um, yeah. Uh, no. Also, talking about no hitters, real quick, mm-hmm. like side note, Clay yeah. Buckholz, who's no hitter, I believe is the second career start ever. Yeah, I was about to say when I read that, yeah. it seemed like 2007 was really early for Buckholz. Yeah. 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 I mean, mm-hmm. um, obviously Verlander threw no hitter. Uh, Ryan Howard was the fastest to reach 100 home runs. Um, mm hmm. Thomas hit 500, Biggio hit 3K, A-Rod hit 500. On August 4th, here kind of comes the two big milestones. August 4th, Barry Bonds tied Hank Aaron at 755. Uh, Three days later, he passed him with 756. Uh, Home Run King with an asterisk. I feel like we've talked about Barry Bonds so much on this podcast. And I'm happy. Yeah, I'm kind of happy to kind of wrap it up on Barry. I'll wrap up so much. Like, I was... Even at the time, like, you kind of knew, it just it fell off. Uh, I was kind of numb to it when he hit it. It's like, yeah, oh, that's cool. But, yeah. Whatever. In my in my eyes, Hank Aaron's still the home run champion. 
Yeah, I feel like if you take steroids into account, like if you're a player who act, or a person who actually sees steroids and takes them into account, there everyone's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Everyone knows yeah. it's tainted. Um, and then to end the season, Pujols was the first player in his first seven seasons to hit 300, have 30 home runs, and 100 RBIs in each season. But now here is the milestone that I really wanted to talk about. On August 22nd, the Texas Rangers beat the Baltimore Orioles 30-3. to That's right. In the first game of a doubleheader. Yes. The second game was played a couple that. hours later, and Texas beat them 9-7. to so the Texas Rangers scored 39 runs in two games in one day off Baltimore Orioles. Um, that is more than two runs in any. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Have you ever seen the highlights of that game? Yes, I, uh, watched, I watched them earlier. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Like, just like, this can't keep going. This can't keep going. It wasn't even like Grand Slam, Grand Slam, Grand Slam. Uh, it was like a crap ton of singles and doubles and then, uh, then a timely home run. Um, Didn't the Orioles pitch, like, all actual pitchers, too, except maybe, like, the very last inning? Yes. Was- no, they threw four pitchers. Uh, their starting pitcher yeah. went five and gave up six earned runs. So not a good day at the park, but a manageable day. Um, on the flip side, the next three relievers gave up 24 earned in four innings. 20 all, all earned, too. Every run was earned. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. You know what's even, wow. You know what's even crazier about that? What? All 30 of those runs were only scored in four different innings. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the the eight and nine hitters, it was Jared Sultan-Matia and Vasquez. I don't even know his first name. They went eight for 12 with 14 RBIs and four home runs combined. <laughs> you, you know also nuts? Huh. The Rangers had a worse record than the Orioles. The Rangers were 55 and 70. The Orioles were 58 and 66. Uh, also, the pitcher for the Rangers picked up a save that day. Yes, that's Cause right. Because he, he went three innings to finish the game. <laughs> he actually right. picked up the save for that game. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah, you're not kidding. No, uh, I'm not that's kidding. Not, that's got to be the highest margin of victory in, in a save ever. Yeah, I'm, Easiest save of all time. <laughs> not even close. I could have gone out there and gotten a save. Not oh, even. Not sure. even. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we've played a lot of lopsided games in our day. I don't think I've ever beat a team 30 to 3. Uh, we might have beat, Ryan. Ryan's team. We might have beat the Hawks that bad. <laughs> Honestly. For those of you listening, me and Justin played on the same team. Okay, like, Joe, on. Ryan was on like uh, a team for a year or two before that he joined Lightning. Yeah, so, uh, at least those guys yeah. were nice guys. A, Let yeah. it be known, I did not pitch that game. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. We don't those were the good old days. Those were the good old days. Uh, uh-huh. No, no, yeah, I don't think we're seeing a major league team beat another major league team thirty to three anytime soon. <laughs> That's bad. That's really bad. They had the Rangers had Frank Catalanato leading off. How in the world do you allow a team with Frank Catalanato leading off to score thirty runs on you? Uh, who were the who were the kind of big name players on the Rangers? In I know Kinsler was there, Nelson Cruz was there. Yeah. Um, no, that's seven. So it was their lineup that game was Catalanato playing first base and leading off, Kinsler at second, Michael Young at short, Marlon Bird playing center and hitting cleanup, Jason Botts at the DH hitting fifth, hitting 234 as a DH, Nelson Cruz 
in right, hitting sixth. David Murphy in left, hitting seventh. Salta Lamaki behind the plate, hitting eighth. And Ramon Vasquez playing third, hitting ninth. Uh, the Rangers, fifth and sixth hitters in that game. Their OPS on the season, 681 and 636. Also, nice. Fun stuff. Side note is the Rangers had Sammy Sosa that year, but I don't believe he played that game. He no, did it doesn't, he did not. He wow. did not play the game. Uh, yeah, I think that's my favorite milestone from 2007. Out of all of them, uh, 30 to 3. Someone's going to read that again, though. Do you want to know how many hits with one of the important position the Rangers had that game? Uh, no, tell me. 18. 18? Oh my Eight. gosh. I don't know if I had that many my entire life. I definitely have. Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, no, that's. Uh, I don't think we're seeing that anytime soon. But um, yeah, no. Overall, that that was probably my favorite milestone out of the entire year. Over Bonds breaking the quote-unquote home run record, all the no hitters. Oh, uh, I missed one. The thirteenth ever unassisted play was turned by Troy Tulowitzki that year, who's a rookie. And who should have won Rookie of the Year, if I'm being honest. And that's where we're going to go straight into awards right now. Uh, since I said Rookie of the Year, we'll start in Rookie of the Year. AL, it was Dustin Pedroia. You could make the case for uh, Dice K, but, I mean, that's kind of a hitter-pitcher thing. I'm going to lean Pedroia. Uh, they got that one right. They only missed two out of six this year, in my opinion. Uh, NL Rookie of the Year, Ryan Braun versus Troy Tulowitzki. It depends on what you want to look at, because Braun had an over 1,000 yeah. OPS. Braun absolutely mashed the baseball that year. Now, I mean crushed it. His defense was putrid at third base, obviously. Uh, but Tula Whiskey's war was, like, out of this world, 6.8, despite an 838 OPS. He was probably should have won a gold glove at shortstop. Um, I believe I was reading something. Him, he had, like, the best range factor, the best, uh, the most putouts, the best fielding percentage, like, everything above whoever, whomever won the gold glove that year. So he should have won a gold glove. Uh, but no, Braun absolutely smashed the ball. So while true, so Tula Whiskey probably should have gotten it by the metrics. Uh, I don't really have a problem with Braun getting it. No, I was I was just gonna say that that um, when you look at WAR, it's pretty not close. I mean, Tula had six point eight, Braun had two. But when you start looking at numbers, man, Braun had thirty four homers and ninety seven RBIs and. 451 at bats, hit 324 OPS over a thousand. I like the offense, and if yeah. you strictly at offensive war, Brian Braun had a 5.2 offensive war. Listen to his defense now, before though, negative 2.9. Like it is really hard to be that bad. So that's but why he, that's why he stopped playing third base, huh? Is that, I, yeah. I don't even know if it's possible to rack up that bad of a defensive war. Yeah, that's really yeah, really bad. Yeah. But yeah, five point two offensive WAR for Ryan Braun, and Tulo had three point seven, which is really good. But yeah, it, yeah, it, I, I can't call him this position. No, but. Braun mashed the ball that year. Absolutely mashed the ball. Um, hey, uh, going to the Cy Young, I think they got both Cy Youngs right. Actually, Jake Peavy and CC Sabathia, they were very close races. But there's no one guy that you could really point to that should be above either of them. You can make a case for somebody else, but. CC, I think, really carried, not carried, uh, but really helped that Cleveland Indian staff to a playoff berth and what ended up being an ALCS berth. And on the flip side, Jake PP had an extremely good ERA that year. So I, I don't really have an argument on either side. I always forget Jake PP won a Cy Young. 
if I'm being honest with you. I don't know why. When you say Jake, Jake Peavy, I guess it's because we caught kind of the back tail end of his career when he was playing for, like, the Giants, and he was kind of that piece that everyone talked about getting, and then, like, he was going to marginally improve their staff. I don't know why. I don't ever think about Jake Peavy being a Cy Young pitcher, but, hey, I guess he was, in fact, that good. He was filthy in uh, San Diego for a couple of years. Yeah. And then find out with some injuries. But, yeah, I just don't think of Jake Peavy like that. Yeah, I I think they got the Cy Youngs, both Cy Youngs rights this year. We I do want to mention about Cy Young. It's, it's still very close. JP won Cy Young with 6.2 war. Mm-hmm. Now, Grand Pitching War is a little sketch, so that's going to be fair. But the, apps, the 100% leader in Pitching War this year was Roy Oswald. He didn't even see the vote. So he he really? had 6.6, so pretty close. Yeah. I just looked it up because I was curious because that, that's a really low, like, there's no outstanding pitchers yeah. this year. There's, like, a lot of solid pitchers. What would be Yeah, Oswald that. He was 14-7. He had 3.180 RA. Only 154 strikeouts. So yeah. How did he not get a vote? I mean, Smoltz went, questions. Smoltz went 14 and 8 with a 311 ERA and got a vote. Although well, I, I guess say it's not, they only take. I, I mean, it wasn't really a close race. I think Zambrano, Hamill, Schmoltz, Valverde, and Francis all got one vote each. Yeah. Houston Astros were 73 and 89, I guess, that was the reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I just want to throw that out there. Uh, moving over to MVP, A Rod, I think, is kind of the unquestionable one in the AL. A Rod should have won it. Uh, NL, uh, Jimmy Rollins. What are they looking at? I think literally, I can, okay, off off rip right here. David Wright, Albert Pujols, Chase Otley, Chipper Jones, all should have won it over him. And I don't think there's really a question whether you're looking at war, OPS, anything like that. Like, I like J-Roll as a player. Out of the big three of the oh Phillies, uh, J-Roll was easily my favorite, but I'm not sure what the voters were looking at at all. David Wright got um, robbed of GDP. Uh, so did Albert Pujols, who had even I a higher think- war. I actually have a very good perspective on this being a Phillies fan, like why this happened. So there's a lot of a lot of things just kind of clicked for the Phillies this year. This is the first year the Phillies, I, I had to say call it a dynasty. It wasn't really a dynasty. Their golden five years or so started, I guess you could say. They came back from 17, sorry, seven games down, 17 games to play. I'm sure we'll get into that in the playoffs. It's a crazy comeback. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hype surrounding the team. And Jimmy Rollins is one of the big, big reasons that they made that comeback. He was white hot at the end of the year. And on top of that, he was the first player, I believe, in MLB history, or one of the first, maybe second, I forget. But he had 30 home runs, 40 stolen bases, 20 triples. Now, I don't know how, I don't know if you realize how hard it is to hit 20 triples in today's day and age, especially playing in Philadelphia. It's not like San Francisco where you just hit triples alley out there. It is really hard to hit a triple in Philly, their ballpark. But anyway, he had 200 hits, played in every single game. So that's why he won the MVP voting. Now, I agree with you. He should not have won it. I would have probably given it to... Uh, probably, yeah, I'd have gone right. right. I probably would have gone right. I'd have gone right, yeah. But it was really close. Cool. Probably the end of probably maybe. And you know why? I almost, as soon as I pulled up the stats, and Justin, you said, how in the world did Rollins win? I was like, uh, it's got to be the power-speed combo. 30 homers, 41 stolen bases. Yeah. Uh, he was very good outside of that. But that, And then I look, and David Wright stole 34 bases. What? 
Nope, David yeah. Wright had all of it. But David Wright's team didn't make the playoffs. If he get yeah, if the Mets are a contender and he gets four more hits to put him at two hundred, I think he wins it. If the Mets don't choke, Just they were the play. team that the Phillies caught up to. I know. Yeah, I agree. You probably want it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, seriously, I think there's like even when we're talking about if we're talking about like pure hitting, the guys that finished right behind him, I think Prince Fielder had over a thousand OPS that season. Uh, this is when yeah. Fielder really starts to become an MVP candidate. Howard had an extremely good season. Uh, I mean, Rollins is better than both of them. But for Pujols to finish ninth in voting with an 8.7 war that season is, again, ridiculous. Like, I'd understand if Pujols was finishing second or third to maybe a guy like Wright who broke out and was the sexy pick or whatever. You know, the, like the non-LeBron pick. Mm-hmm. I like to keep saying that because Pujols and LeBron yeah. are very similar in that, that respect. Just like anybody that wins it in the AL now. 2012. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the yeah. sexy pick. Yeah, no, I, I just don't. Like, I, I don't like trial finishing nine. Yeah, no, that's like nothing. In, oh, yeah. in what right, no. world? Yeah. Like I, I don't understand what these voters were looking at because there was such an emphasis on team success in the sport that team success matters the not matters the least, but that an individual player has the least amount of impact on. I, I just. In yeah. the NBA, yeah, I get it because you have such a hand in your team's success as a singular player. But Here's you can't try behind Mike Trout. You can't. If you're LeBron and you're in the NBA and it's crunch time. You can get the ball in your hands if you're Trout and it's crunch time and you got a runner on in the bottom of the ninth with one out. If you ain't up, you ain't up. Yeah, I guess. Here's, uh, here's a fun one. Guess who finished with only seven fewer votes now? Pujols. Our boy Eric Burns. You gotta wow. be kidding me. Wow. Burnsy? Burnsy. Yeah. Yes. That's bad. Yeah. Um, but, but as looking, if you kind of look at the stat leaders this year, there's a lot of names that I'm really starting to get excited about because these were names that when we all started watching baseball were kind of the big names. Maglio Ordonez is a guy we never talk about. I oh, mean, God, never. Dude. This season he batted 363 with a. 1028, 1029 OPS. Like, that's crushing baseballs. This was his magnum opus season. Like, this was his one really big year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no bad. He always flew under the radar. Dude, I loved his hair. His nice big curly <laughs> oh locks, bro. His hair was nice. Oh, uh, yeah. Another guy in the AL, Carlos Pena, had a 1037 OPS. Man, Billy Bean, you really made the right trade there, bud. Good old Billy He's Bean. He's so smart, though. But he means the smartest ever. He yeah. never makes mistakes. Carlos Payne just doesn't walk enough. Scott Hatterberg over Carlos Payne for life. Although, to be fair, Payne would have been long gone by 07. Oh, yeah, because that would require Billy Bean paying somebody. Yes. Yeah, which he also doesn't do. Uh, <laughs> over in the NL, Matt Holliday. Uh, we'll talk about him a lot more later. Absolute stud this year. A 10-12 OPS, batted 340. An extremely good year. I believe he was second or third in MVP voting. Um, maybe he possibly should have won it. I don't know. You can make that debate. Holiday had an extremely good year. Uh, Prince Fielder, again, 50 bombs, a 10-13 OPS, a guy we're going to talk about a lot in the next few seasons. Uh, easily one of the most exciting players I've watched in baseball. I mean, there wasn't anything more fun than a Prince Fielder home run for a good few years there. Um, God, I love We talked about last pod when he got a hold of one and released that. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, um, his. I remember that walk-off celebration when he was in Milwaukee, 
where he jumped on home plate and everyone fell down like it was an explosion. <laughs> I, I oh, vividly God. remember on the Yorktown Lightning, we were talking about trying to do something like that. We could, we never did, but like, I think we talked about it about a thousand, thousand times. Um, I, I think I've told Justin this before. I, I'm the biggest Jeter fan in the world, and I think I would rather see Prince Fielder come back and show than Jeter. Yeah. Prince, Prince Fielder is amazing. I can't even. He is so awesome, but oh yeah, it's unfortunate. Before we, before we get too far past this, I just man, if David Wright and Troy Tulowitzki had stayed healthy throughout their prime, Hall of Famers. Oh Don't my god, god. so good. That just it almost makes my heart hurt a little bit because they they were both fan favorite in their cities and. Mm-hmm. Especially, I know Tulo, you could call course Field, but as a shortstop team, it knows two would stay healthy. Tulo was so good oh, defensively, anyways. Good. Those two and Grady Sizemore. Yep, I agree. Uh, yeah. David, David Rice, especially, was just. Yeah. That, that's so sad. He, he, did nothing but, he did nothing but play, play his heart out, and he was really good for a number of years there. And Baseball would have been a. Hell of a lot better off if they would have been able to have healthy careers. Yep, I agree. Oh, Matt mentioned one more guy, really, really quick. Yeah, I don't care. I have more sure. guys. Yeah. Go. 2007, Aaron Rowan of the Philadelphia Phillies was his second and last year in Philadelphia. Extremely under the radar player. I just saw his war. He got MVP votes, which I'm shocked about. I did not think he was that good. He had a war of 5.1, which is blows my mind. I always remember him as a good player, but. Wow. This is also the year he crashed into the center field fence in Citizens Bank Park and missed no games. What a beast. That was crazy. I remember His nose is bleeding like crazy. Mm-hmm. He's nuts. Philly fans love him forever because of that. But anyway, I just wanted to mention him. No, he had a good no, go ahead. Uh, I, I just realized this, Justin. I don't know if you realized this earlier when you were looking. Um, well, what he finished ahead of Braun in the MVP game? But uh, what? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Me no understand. I, I, I would, I would wager that the Rockies finished high. Well, they did because they ended up, they made the playoffs and the World Series. But, yes. Um, I'm sure Milwaukee didn't make the playoffs, did they? No. No. Yeah, I, I it's bad, but it's still stupid. Huh? I, I enjoy every, uh, I enjoy I every podcast, it. every episode we record. We sit here, we try to decipher what were they making, and we always come back to who won more games. Oh, the other guy. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. We'll, we'll handle the trophy. Yeah, that, that makes more sense. Yeah, um, Brewers were close though. They only finished two back to Cubs, although Cubs only won them eighty-five games. Yeah, but I think Ryan Mitching Tulowitzki is our best way to kick it off into what would now be the modern day wild card. Uh, one of the more exciting games in baseball went thirteen innings in a tiebreaker. Colorado Rockies, San Diego Padres, uh, nine to eight. Obviously, Matt Holliday's iconic slide with his bald head popping out of nowhere. Um, we don't know if he touched the plate yet or not. It's kind of been yet to be confirmed. Uh, I forgot the catcher's name. He used to catch for the Cubs. Uh, I don't know. I forgot. Padres catcher. Oh, shoot. Yes. Uh, no, he used to. He. Got, I'm pretty sure he got into a fight with Carlos Zambrano in the Cubs dugout. I forgot his name. As soon as someone would say it, I'd know it. But anyways, he blocked. No, no, it was before him. Barrett, maybe. Um. Anyways, it was Josh Bard? 
No. Wait, I thought you just the one playing that no, game. No, it was her backup. Michael oh. Barrett? Barrett, that's what it is. Yes. Barrett. He, uh, wow, he, had, he blocked the play had, pretty well. Yeah, Barrett. Michael Barrett, 55 games. Henry Blanca, Rob Bowen, uh, Hoy Hill, Jason Kendall played 52 games of catch with them that year. And Steve played catch a little bit. No, but yeah, Barrett came across and blocked the plate pretty well. We don't know if Holiday's hand got in there. But uh, I think I saw a comment on it because MOB streamed it the other day on YouTube. And I think the best one was like, as a San Diego Padres fan, I sit here for 13 innings watching pretty great baseball. And then I watch Trevor Hoffman blow it in about five minutes. And I always forget that Trevor Hoffman's the one on the mound who's giving up that sack fly, who gave up the hits to get Holiday to third and whomever was on first and then the sack fly there. Uh, let me tell you what, Matt Holiday had no business running on that ball. If you go back and watch it, that ball is a line drive to right field. And luckily, I believe it was Marcus Giles out there, has an absolute candy arm, has an a- just a tootsie <laughs> pop for an arm. And Matt Holiday gets in there safe, but... Here's the thing, actually. This is another kind of one of the percentage plays in baseball that's... You've seen made some progress recent years. So... You have to think, what's what's the probability that you're going to get thrown out on play? And what's the probability of me scoring if I don't run? So I think, uh, I believe there's one out when, in this situation, correct? Mm-hmm. So no, it's, yeah, one out on a fly ball that you think you have a chance of scoring on. And they know this guy, of course. They know that Marcus Giles is out there with a candy arm, like you said. So you have to think, okay, is there a higher probability the next guy is going to hit me in? Or should I just take the maybe 30% chance that I score now? So even if it's a much better probability you get thrown out, that's still a risk you might be willing to take, depending yeah. on the situation. Obviously, yeah. that's not all going in their mind in the moment, but you yeah. have to make a snap decision. Like, is there a good, reasonable chance I support here? You know, yeah. yeah. You know, you know what that play reminds me a lot of. Y'all remember the World Series in 2015 when Hosmer was on third, and that play was retarded. Perez, that play was terrible. Perez hit, that, Perez hit that chopper. They threw him out at first, and Hosmer yeah. ran on the play and should have been out by an absolute mile. He was dead to whites. And I'm blanking on who was playing first base, but he threw it away. And they said after the game that they had thought about that ahead of time, that they knew that whoever – Ike Davis was the first baseman. They knew Ike Davis was not good throwing to home on a play like that, and so Hosmer was ultra-aggressive and it paid off. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that play. But, yeah, I mean, that kind of ushered in the modern-day – Wild card, which I love. The, you know, the playing game, the game 163, if you have it. Uh, honestly, I love it. It's just kind of crazy. I didn't realize Trevor Hoffman was on the mound for that. Um, and this led to Colorado. I mean, they were the first team off the top of my head that was kind of the wild card Cinderella team that I remember really hearing about. It was, I remember Holiday. Troy Heldon was on that team. Tulo was on that team. No pitching right. whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, Garrett Atkins, no pitching. Every pitcher had over a four ERA. So I'm not sure how they got to the World Series, but here they were. And in the playoffs, it was extremely uneventful outside of the ALCS. There was five sweeps outside of ALCS going to Game 7. There was only one other series that uh, an opposing team took another game. Uh, It was one of the divisional series rounds. I'm not sure off the top of my head. But pretty bland playoff. Um, honestly, outside of the ALCS, 
which Cleveland went up three to one and then blew it. Boston outscored Cleveland thirty to five in their final three games. I mean, Cleveland got hammered, and I absolutely hammered. Is Cleveland the longest drought team in baseball right now? They have to be. White Sox ended yes. there. Boston ended theirs. Cubs. Yes, I believe it's Cleveland because we were talking about it back in 2016 when they lost to the Cubs. Because yeah. it was the Cubs and it was Cleveland were the two longest ones. And then obviously Chicago into theirs in 2016. Um, yeah, no, I actually listened to a pod the other day, uh, Bill Simmons' podcast, and he had CeCe Sabathia on. He was like, do you ever feel bad about being, you know, the... You know, LeBron was in Cleveland there, and he couldn't get it done the first time, and this was before LeBron came back, and then you were in Cleveland, and you were supposed to kind of be the guy for them, and you couldn't get it done. Do you ever feel that? And CeCe was like, yeah, no, honestly, I feel it every single time I go back to Cleveland. Like, the fans in Cleveland love me, and we're all good now, but he says he feels really bad about kind of being in Cleveland's crappy history, whether that be the Browns, the Cavs, the Indians. Uh, yeah, Cleveland's a sad sports town. Yeah, you want to talk about a town that's gotten dicked over. My gosh. Cleveland's got no breaks. No, zero. None. Nada. All they had was that three-run comeback with LeBron, which is outstanding moments, mm-hmm. to be very clear. But beyond that, boy, what have they had in the last, oh God? 60. Or, oh, my gosh. I can't think of anything. No, Baseball, they haven't won since the 40s. Football. They, they had one year in, like, 2009. <laughs> they made the playoffs. I thought about like actually winning championships. Oh, I, I know that was my point. That was. I haven't made the playoffs. Good man. Yeah, no, Cleveland's really bad, and uh, they got shafted here. I mean, thirty to five. It wasn't even close games down the stretch. They, Cleveland got routed. Yeah. Absolutely destroyed uh, in the last three games. Of that series. That was a really fun team, though. Didn't they have Kenny Lofton? Yes. Yes. Kenny Lofton was on that team. Yes. It was the old guys' crew. Without a doubt about that. Yeah. Trot Nixon, Gray Sizemore, who Alton had another pretty solid year. Yep. Yeah. Good squad. Victor yeah. Martinez. For sure. Yeah. V Mart was on there. Uh, they had another good pitcher outside of CC. Hernandez, maybe? Yes. Yes. Hernandez was good that year. He had like a 307, I believe. Um, yeah. Something like that. No, I mean, overall, good team. It, it's a shame that Boston steamrolled them and then steamrolled Colorado in the World Series. That was uh, a really bad series. Although, yeah. one note, they, they did have to put a snow off Colorado's field for game three. Yes, they I did. Yes, they did. But beyond that, it was very boring. Uh, yeah, I mean, for a, such an exciting year as I guess the season was, the high octane, a lot of offense. Uh, pretty boring playoffs because Boston steamrolled through everyone. This is the first year I can really say that the best team in Major League Baseball probably won this won the won the World Series. Uh, Manny Manny was absolutely crushing the ball. This is when Manny was being Manny. I think this is really Manny's prime. Uh, Ortiz, yeah, it was just a it was a crew, and they swept LA. They came back on Cleveland and they swept Colorado without a doubt. Oh my god. God. <laughs> I just had like a eureka moment. I y'all remember what Roberto Hernandez's name was before, right? What? Yes. What what was it again? Fausto Carmona. That's it? Yep. I 
completely forgotten. Yep. You said Roberto Hernandez. I know that name. I know who he is, but I cannot remember what his name was before that. Oh my god. And you have to put that up because I completely forgot to. He, he pitched for the Phillies for a couple years towards the end of his yeah. career after his name got discovered and his age. Alright. <laughs> Alright, let's, uh, let's, let's spice up this as we finish it off. I found a 2007 ESPN article taking guys who were aged 25 and under and what they could become. Oh no. It was by a couple ESPN writers. I'm not sure whether it was Keith Law, Buster only. I think it was a, it was the crew. Um, it's actually I was gonna cut it down to like five or six guys, and then you find out that this list is ridiculous. Uh, it was kind of I guess the the I mean these were obviously young guys, and they were giving us who I guess who they thought they could become or if they got reached their max potential. So I, I'm gonna read off to you some of these. I'll tell you how much you don't agree and how much you agree. Uh, we start off with an absolute doozy. Delman Young and Alfonso Sori will become Alfonso Soriano. Uh, yeah, that one that one didn't work out. One bit. Uh, Prince Fielder becoming Mo Vaughn. Uh, Prince Fielder surpassed that. But pretty good comp, honestly. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman becoming Ron Santo. Uh, not terrible. I think Zim was a little better. Um, Jose Reyes becoming well, Barry Larkin. Santos Yeah, I think Santos better. But eh, I think Santos better defensively too. But that's not that's fair. What? No, he he turned out well. Jose Reyes, Barry Larkin. <laughs> not yep. quite. Yep. I, I yep. do see the comp though. Mm-hmm. Well, especially back when he was hyped. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Mickey, Mickey and Hank Aaron. Because this is when Mickey was still playing outfield. Yeah. I mean, offensively. Yeah, I mean, that's I, not terrible. To make, to make that comp in 07 and then have Mickey win a triple crown, uh, I give him an A- minus on that. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Francoeur and Andre Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next. F-, F minus. Yeah. Uh, Alex Gordon and George Brett, because this is when Alex Gordon still played third base. Dear God. Yeah, that, that one's not good. <laughs> Um, it is a very valuable rookie card because it wasn't supposed to be put into top sets, but it's yeah. through 2006. Yeah. yeah, if you have one of those, uh, Jeremy Hermida and Bernie Williams. <laughs> Bernie, <laughs> side note: Bernie Williams is actually criminally underrated. Yes, he is. Who, what was the name again? Jeremy Hermida. He's a uh, Marlin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've literally never heard of this guy. I have. Came up, with, came up with Ugla, right? Yes, yes. Howie Kendrick and Chase Utley. Believe it or not, Howie Kendrick is younger than Chase Utley there. Uh, Joe Maurer and Pudge, which isn't terrible if Maurer didn't no, bite him in the butt. Uh, Hanley and J. Roll, which isn't terrible. I honestly think they have pretty yeah. comparable careers. Uh, David Wright and Dick Allen. Again, if Wright's injury bug didn't bite him. Uh, Robinson Cano and Rod Carew, which at the time seemed pretty comparable, and then Cano's power took off, and/or he played in Yankee Stadium. They they, they probably yeah. directly relate to each other. <laughs> oh, here's one. Here's a really good one. Stephen Drew is Derek Jeter. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> off the podcast. Derek Jeter. Stephen Drew. Get Derek off. Jeter. I remember when Stephen Drew was supposed to be the absolute <laughs> next like best shortstop in the league. 
I remember I, I'd pick him up all the time in MLB 2K12 because yep. he was like 26. But still had five star potential yep. for some reason, and I would just flip him. Yep. Uh, Grady Sizemore and Duke Snyder. That's uh, actually uh, not a bad comp at all if Sizemore stays Doesn't healthy. get hurt. Yep. Yeah. Rocco Baldelli and Carlos Beltran. Good heavens. Yeah. Not, not quite. Did, I forget, did Bull Belly get cancer while he was playing or after? I'm not sure, honestly. You have to look it up. Oh, no. I didn't know he had cancer. Oh. Yeah. I uh, actually, really random, but uh, I went to a Tech Boston College game last year, and Bull Belly's, uh, I yeah, because Bull Belly's the manager of the Twins now. He's yes. only 30. Yeah, he's still young. Okay. But um, he, his uh, younger brother played for Boston College last year. See, brother? Yeah, his younger brother. Jeez. Oh. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, nephew or something. No, I believe it's his younger brother. Um, Willie Mo Pena and Sammy Sosa. How's how's that one feeling? I will say Willie Mo Pena can hit tanks with the best of them. Yeah, not 600 of them. (laughs) I really just on that one. Felix Hernandez in an early Dwight Gooden. Yeah, that's not terrible. Didn't have quite the flames on his mm-hmm. basketball as Gooden did, but yeah, I buy it. Here's a good one. <laughs> Phil Hughes or Kurt, it's Kurt Schilling? Good. Gosh. That's when Phil Hughes was supposed to be the next dude. Okay. Did, did Hughes come up with the Yankees? Yes. Yeah, uh, that's why. That's why. This yeah. is right when I started collecting baseball cards, so I remember these were like the hot rookies to have when I first started collecting. Like Phil Hughes... Beckett, where like listed this rookie card listed like five bucks a piece, it was insane, and then he became absolute garbage. Yep, well, he didn't have his perfect game, but yeah, no, that was Philip Hubner. Sorry, uh, yeah, Phil Hubner. Uh, Matt Kane was John Smoltz. Uh, Kane's not a guy we talked about a lot, but he didn't win a couple, didn't he? Win a Cy Young, or he came close? No, came close, came close. close. One, two, or three World Series, three, right? Yeah. Yeah, three. Yeah. Uh, Joel Zamaya, Billy Wagner. Oh my god, I remember Joel Because he threw hard. Because he did that. Because well, he, he threw hard. Yeah, he threw hard before it was cool. If you find a 2007 ESPN homepage, which I did, uh, there's literally like eight articles on the top of it talking about fastballs. I'm like, oh my. How times how times have changed. Um, wow. 98 mile an hour fastball is revolutionary. Uh, Jordan Hicks would like a word with you. Yeah, any any Dominican relief pitcher who comes up for any team would like a word for you. Wait, what what happened yeah. to Joel Maya? He, he got hurt. Played. Yeah, he only played through his 25 age season. Yeah, he got hurt. I'm pretty sure he like borderline had one of the maybe I'm just talking out of my butt. But y'all remember that guy? I think he pitched for the Astros. He like broke his arm mid pitch. Pretty sure he had something somewhat similar to that. Yikes. So, uh, he, had Tommy, he had Tommy John in 2012. Yes, he had Elvis in 2011. Ah, Joel Zamaya. In 2006, it was an infamous sore wrist which was blamed on Zamaya playing Guitar Hero too vigorously, which caused him to miss the <laughs> ALCS. In 2007, Zamaya ruptured a tendon in his pitching hand, causing him to miss over three months of the season. In 2010, Zamaya appeared to have conquered the injury bug, and he came back finally in 2010. And then he—that was his last year. Yep. 
Although he pitched yeah. well, but nothing like his rookie year. Like his rookie year, he was insane. But yeah, yeah, he had a lot of arm injuries. Yeah, I mean, Zamaya did hit 104 on the gun, so he was Chapman before Chapman. He just didn't last. Guitar Hero, though, like that is the most 2007 thing I've ever heard. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's um, like the mid 2000s version of uh, Bowers slicing his finger on that drone in the playoffs. Yep. But uh, fun, quick fun fact: on July 3rd, 06, Verlander, Zumaya, and Rodney each threw multiple fastballs over 100 miles an hour. That was the first time in MLB history three pitchers from the same team had thrown three or more fastballs over 100 each. That's crazy. The, wow. Yankees, the Yankees do that about every time they bring someone out of the pin now. Yeah. For real. Uh, up next, Scott Casimir and Steve Carlton. Nope. Yeah, I remember when Casimir was that hyped up. He was supposed to be nasty. Hey, he played for the Braves. He was nasty for a few years and then got hurt. Yep. Kind of like Brandon Webb. I don't. Casimir never won Cy Young, but no. I, I mean, really good for a couple years. Yep. I mean, he pretty much single handedly. That's not true. But he was a big contributing factor to the reason the race made the World Series in a way. Yep. Uh, Cole Hamels and Tom Glavin, which actually is very, very mm-hmm. accurate. That's yeah, really good. That's the best thing so far. Um, another one I thought was good, Zach Grinke and Brett Saberhagen. Yeah. I thought that one ended up being fairly accurate. Grinke's actually probably better. He is. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think he's he- uh, Just right. Justin Verlander and Brad Penny. This is when Brad Penny was good. Um, I think Justin Verlander got a tad better. <laughs> he did okay. For I mean, I don't even think just, Justin Verlander got a tad better than when Brad Pitt retired. I believe Justin Verlander was better than Brad Pitt as of, like, this season. Yeah, I don't know what they're on about. Wait, why would you buy Penny as, like, a comparison? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, uh, Verlander had, like, the top five lowest whip of all time for a season last year. Yeah, they're talking about freaking Brad Penny. Are you kidding me? Brad Penny? Why? His ERA has never been below 3.15 in a season. And most of the time, it's on about. Hey, good game here. You'll like this one, too. Ian, Ian Snell, who I know you don't even know. I know him. He's a great, he's a great guy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear what y'all think his comparison was. Just, just list out a name. It may be a reason Gabe would love it. You got it. You got to give me a hint. I would say Barry Zito. Roy Holiday. What? Roy what? <laughs> Not quite. What? Not yeah. quite. A short lefty guy. Yeah, from the Pirates. No, he's insane. Good God. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I was hoping y'all found that article as interesting as I did. Uh, whoever was on it was either yeah. smoking crack with Jeff Franco or Andre Dawson, <laughs> Stephen Drew, Derek Jeter. Uh, but a couple of them were spot on. I will say that much. Yeah, I'll say I, I got to give them some props for hitting as many of those as they did. Yep. I, yeah. There sure. were some. There were some bad comps, but it's a pretty spot on them too. Yeah. yeah. But not fifty-fifty. Yeah, to wrap up yeah. 2007, just to hit the draft real quick. Uh, again, I feel like we bounced back and forth between either deep draft with no superstars, terrible draft, or a draft with a lot of superstars. And this one falls in the lot of superstars one. Uh, just there's there's a few notable names. 
go, all going in the first round. David Price, Mike Moustakis, Matt Wheelers, Mad Bum, Jason Hayward, Sean Doolittle, Josh Donaldson. And then notables beyond that, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, Freddie Freeman, Zach Cozart, Jonathan Lucroy, Corey Kluber, Jake Arrieta, Anthony Rizzo. And in the 41st round, Russell Wilson. Uh, so, I mean, a stack. Did, did David Price ever want to sign him? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right. So, Price, Cy Young, Moose, All-Star, Weeders, All-Star, Mad Bum, Cy Young are close to it, Jason Hayward, All-Star, Sean Doolittle, extremely good, Donaldson, MVP, Stanton, MVP, Freeman, MVP level, Zach Cozart, extremely good, Luke Croy, Gold Glover, Kluber, Cy Young, Arietta, Cy Young, Rizzo, All-Star. Yeah, I mean, that I mean really th- that's a really stacked draft. And all those guys were drafted the sixth round or above. Um, not much value beyond that. Uh, but no, those first six rounds were stacked with guys. First and drafted. I remember being like second or fourth round, something like that. Stacked was the second round. Okay. 76th overall mm-hmm. pick. And yes, Price won a Cy Young in 2012. Thank you. Yeah, Price went 1 1. Moose went 1 2. Was that the year he was traded to Toronto midseason, or was that the year after that? No, he was trapped to the tribe, traded in 2015. Uh, yeah, oh. 15, right? God, that, that feels like so long. Because it, Don- it was Donaldson's MVP season. That's yeah. a daily reminder that David Price actually puts the lead on time. That's right. He was, he was traded two years in a row at the deadline. 2014 is when yep. he with Detroit flipped him, and I believe, did they trade Cespedes that year too in 2015? Yes. I believe so. For Boston? How long ago? Wow. Yeah, it's no, been five years. No, Boston trade. That was the year Cespedes went to the Mets. Ah. That felt like just yesterday. Yeah. And for a couple weeks there, people were talking about him potentially winning the NL MVP. Yeah, no, that's when we were in high school, guys. That was only four years ago. Wow. That's crazy. That feels like so much longer. Yep. Yeah. Four or five years ago. Yeah. Big, uh,. Big, big feels bad, but no, overall stack draft. Uh, I think it's going to wrap us up here for episode 36 of Ferris Gone. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next week.